Christian culture today is deeply rooted in the idea of feelings, especially feeling God, feeling close to Him. If we don't feel Him, something must be wrong. But what's wrong is this idea about feelings. Stay tuned for that and more in this episode of Good Monsters. Again, welcome to Good Monsters, the podcast that takes a critical look at modern Christianity and Christian culture from a biblical perspective. My name is Cody Lawrence, and today we're going to be talking about the impact of emotion on faith. I think this is a super, super important issue for Christians to think about because I think emotions play a heavy, if not predominant role in Uh, Maybe I would even say most Christians' faith nowadays. And so I was thinking about this and where this this role of feelings kind of came from in the Christian culture, uh, because later on I'm going to argue that we certainly don't see it in the Bible. And as I was thinking about this, um, I think it might have something to do with two things, with both our culture's view of God and who he is, and also our culture's values and how we are imposing them on Christianity. So let's talk about that. I think in our culture, we have certain values and we push those values onto Christianity sometimes where they may or may not exist. And sometimes those values get accentuated Uh, where our culture kind of takes over and puts a blanket over our faith. uh, When what should be happening is the opposite. Our Christianity should blanket our culture and change us and transform us. And I think it does. And in general, it has. But I think the opposite can happen in some cases. And I think that's exactly what's happening with uh, this idea of emotions impact on our faith in our culture today. So in the West, we have a very individualistic culture. There's a lot of subjectivity. What matters is what I think, what I want. Individual freedom is supremely important. So individualism is placing the value over the individual and the individual's wants and needs and value over the value of the collective or of the group or of... um, say anything that is more objective than the person itself. So the individual is what's important in individualism. Uh, I would say that this coincides very closely with subjectivity. What matters is what, um, what I think the subject, uh, I am the subject. And in subjectivity, that means the subject has the, the value and it, it kind of creates the rules And so our culture is very individualistic and uh, subjective, and we see that entering into our Christianity, and and I'll get to that in a second. But I think individualism isn't necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I've seen the bad side of the opposite worldview, collectivism, living in Japan. Any kind of worldview, uh, if 
I think it's a good thing to value the individual. I also think it's a good thing to value the collective. And in whatever the truth is, both the individual and collective has value, like the group, the family, the country, and also the individual. Both of those are valuable in their own different and unique ways. Uh, I personally lean towards the side of individualism. I think God created us with value. Um, I think the individual holds far more value than the group as a whole, uh, because a group is just a collection of individuals. So any value that a group holds is merely because the individual holds value themselves and then creates the group. But regardless, I think individualism taken too far can be a bad thing, just like collectivism taken too far can be a bad thing. There needs to be a balance to some extent between the two of these things. Um, Not only a balance, let's say, but just not taken to an extreme. Individuals have value, But if you give an individual supreme value over even other individuals, then it creates serious problems for the culture and especially for Christianity because that is totally the opposite of what Christianity says. You are not the most valuable thing. You are valuable, but you're no more valuable than every other individual. And you're certainly not more valuable than the God who created you. And I think that is exactly where the problem enters in into Christianity because of individualism in our culture bleeding into our religion. And we see this happening, this this individualism taken to extremes, I think, all the time. It it happens in school. We see it at work. uh, We see it in politics. We even see it manifesting itself in our laws And we even see it in church now in obvious ways. For example, how many times have you been in church and you yourself or you've heard somebody else say, uh, complaining about worship and saying, "Uh, I don't really like this music or "Uh, I don't, you know, I don't prefer this, but, you know, like nitpicking the, the worship leader's choice of songs. Well, newsflash, worship isn't about you. It never was. But even in our culture, and it's not just like a young person thing either. It's not an old person thing. It's an every single person thing. You know, we I think we have a tendency to think that older people in the church uh, have more of a more of a bent towards having strong opinions about things in the church, but that's not totally true at all. everybody is like that in their own different ways. If people have strong opinions about the worship music and it's not theological, it's just opinion-based, then then that's selfishness. And that's exactly what it is. It's selfishness, isn't it? Literally, by definition, making worship about yourself and your own tastes instead of about God and worshiping him, which is the purpose of worship, just to let you know, is selfish. And that is the farthest thing from what our faith should actually be like. Our faith should not and cannot be selfish. It has to be not about us, but it has to be about God. Biblically, that is what our faith should be centered on. It absolutely should not 
be centered on ourselves. It should not be individualistic to the point that I am raising myself and my desires and my wants above every single other person and everything else in the world and in my life. When my opinions and my desires become even more important than the God who created me, then that's not following God. That's creating a God out of yourself and then following it. And let's find a verse to back this up. Matthew 16, 24 says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, in other words, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So to be able to follow Jesus, we need to deny ourselves first. Is that happening in our Christian culture today? Is that happening in your own faith? Is it happening in your church? Do you see people acting selflessly or do you see people acting selfishly? I think another thing that impacts this idea of um, our own personal feelings and its impact in our faith is the way our culture views God. So I want to talk about two properties of God, or two characteristics, rather, of God. God's eminence and God's transcendence. Do not be intimidated by those words. They have very simple definitions. So hear me out. God's eminence means his closeness. God is close to us, uh, both materially and spiritually. God is near us in the physical world. God works in and through the universe as a whole. He's everywhere. We cannot escape God if we wanted to. God holds our universe together and he holds our bodies and our souls together. So that's God's eminence. He's close to us. So eminence means closeness. There's also God's transcendence that we have to take into account. So at the same time that God is close to us, God is also transcendent. That means he is beyond. He is above us. God is not like us in almost any way. God is like incomprehensible. God is huge, bigger than we could possibly imagine. God, without coming close to us, is totally unknowable. He is not like us. He is above us. And that's what God's transcendence means. And as you can probably imagine looking at God's closeness, but also God's farness, both of those things are true at the same time, where God is both close to us and he is both, and He is above us at the same time. Uh, it's kind of hard to balance the two. And so through different cultures and through history, the pendulum has kind of swung back and forth in opposite directions. And I think in our culture, we tend to emphasize the closeness of God. And this is true not only in Christianity, but outside of Christianity too. If you look at other, uh, let's call them spiritualities, there is always an idea where we are close to the divine, or we are the divine, or the universe, or God, however he or she exists, <laughs> wants to be close to us and have some kind of very personal relationship with us. That is a huge emphasis on God's imminence or God's closeness. 
But I think in our culture as a whole, like I said, even outside of the church, we don't often see people having spiritualities focusing on God's transcendence or God's otherness. Because our culture is so heavily focused on me and the individual and what I want and what I feel, that's just not something that concerns us. or Not loving, but even considering or wanting to know a God who is so far above us. We want God to be like us. We want God to be knowable. We want God to be small and compact and be able to fit into a box. We want to be able to understand him. We want him to be able to do the things that we want him to do. And therefore, we overemphasize the closeness of God and we totally throw out the transcendence of God. So I think when we put those two things together, we see in our church and we see in our Christianity a focus on, well, if I have a relationship with God, then I have to feel him because he's close to me. Like I have a personal relationship with God, the creator of the universe through Jesus Christ. I have to feel him. And if I don't feel him, then maybe that doesn't mean that God's close to me at all. And if God's not close to me, then, you know, either he doesn't exist or maybe I don't really have a relationship with him. And if I don't have a relationship with him and I'm, I I guess I'm doing all the right things and I don't feel close to him anyway, then maybe there's a different God I should be pursuing. And that's exactly what we see happening in the church. So I want to actually look at what the Bible has to say about this, because I think that This is a a very big deal that a lot of Christians don't understand. Let's just look at a few verses. You can simply Google. What did I Google here? Bible verses about feeling. (laughs) Now, our culture takes feelings to be a, uh, a very positive and very important and necessary thing. But let's look at what the Bible has to say about feelings. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Wow. That's actually one of my favorite Bible verses. It shows me, and it's not only about what it shows me, but it's about what the Bible verse actually means. The heart or our feelings or our emotions or the part of us that that isn't our mind and isn't our rationality, but the other part of us that helps make decisions is deceitful. It's wicked. It's sick. It's broken. It's messed up. And nobody can actually understand it. So what does that tell us about our emotions and our feelings? Should we actually be relying on them for our faith? Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Ah, but we just read in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things. So how does this fit? Well, if we read this verse in context and continue on, Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Don't lean on how you think God works, but trust God completely with all of your being. That's what heart means here. In all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Another interesting verse is Galatians 5, uh, 19 19 through 21. 
It says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries. And then it goes on and on and lists all of these horrible things. And most of them actually appear to be emotions, uh, like fits of anger, envy, uh, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All of these things are things that were driven to by our feelings and things that were driven to by our desires and our emotions. And in Galatians, it says that these things aren't good. So what should we be relying on instead of our emotions? Well, we should be relying on God and God's word and our faith. And our faith actually has nothing to do with our feelings. It has to do with our belief. One of the most obvious and clear verses about belief Romans 10, 9 through 10, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raises him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So it has nothing to do with feelings here. It has to do with belief, and belief is a choice that the mind makes. It's not something that we can feel because our salvation is not something that we can just go in and out of. Depending on if we feel happy or sad, we cannot lose our salvation unless that is exactly how we base our salvation. If we believe that we have a relationship with God just based on our feelings, we can lose those feelings and therefore we lose our faith. So can you really say you had a relationship with God in the first place? I was reading a book recently called Church of Cowards by Matt Walsh, and I heavily recommend the book. I'm not done with it yet, but it's a great read so far. And in part of the book, he's discussing what it, uh, the feeling we get when we feel far away from God. And he says in his book, but consider this, in those moments, does it feel like there are two trillion galaxies in the universe? Does it feel like space is filled with planets, stars, black holes, and a billion other marvels? Does it feel like dinosaurs once roamed the earth? Does it feel like the pyramids are real? Does it feel like ancient Rome ever existed? While you are sitting in traffic, can you feel the depths of the ocean or the immensity of the rainforest or the complexity of the human brain? Nobody denies the existence of any of these things, yet we do not feel like we live in a world awesome enough to include them, but we do. And that was the quote. And in the same way, we don't necessarily all the time feel like God exists or that God is close to us or that, you know, Jesus died and came back to life to save us from our sins, but that doesn't make it not true. So if we suddenly were to be under the impression that, well, there, there must not be two trillion galaxies in the universe if I don't feel like there's two trillion galaxies in the universe, that is stupid. It is ignorant. It makes no sense. And we need our faith to make sense. We need our faith to be reasonable. To take another quote, let's look at what C.S. Lewis has to say. Um, in a book of his essays and other writings called Of Other Worlds, he writes this, I thought I saw how stories of this kind, referring to fairy tales, could steal past a certain 
inhibition which had paralyzed much of my own religion in childhood. Why did one find it so hard to feel as one was told one ought to feel about God or about the sufferings of Christ? I thought the chief reason was that one was told one ought to. An obligation to feel can freeze the feelings, and reverence itself did harm. The whole subject was associated with lowered voices, almost as if it were something medical. But supposing that by casting all of these things into an imaginary world, stripping them of their own stained glass and Sunday school associations, one could make them for the first time appear in their real potency. Could one not thus steal past those watchful dragons? I thought one could. So in other words, C.S. Lewis here said that he thought he had to feel the closeness of God because simply he was told that he ought to. Even back in the early 1900s, C.S. Lewis was under this impression that we ought to feel close to God. But what if we move past that? If we move past that, then we actually enter into a deeper relationship than we ever had with him. Because we realize that our feelings aren't important. Our feelings are deceitful. Our feelings are sick. The reasons and and evidence that we have to believe in God and believe in Jesus and his life and death and resurrection is what matters. Those things will never change no matter what we feel. And the truth is there will be times that we feel far away from God no matter how, how solid we are in our faith. No matter how solid we are in our beliefs and our evidence, we will feel far away from God. Another quote in the book Church of Cowards that I loved is this. There is a reason why it is hard to believe in God at the supermarket checkout line, but not hard at all under the night sky. Perhaps the answer is to spend more time under the sky and less time in the checkout line. So when I was a youth pastor, I had a conversation with a a girl's mother one time, and this girl was visiting our youth ministry from somewhere else because she had some friends here. She would typically attend somewhere else. And... um. The mother found me one day throughout the week because she attended our church, although her uh, her daughter attended a different church. Her mother said, I just wanted to let you know that my daughter didn't really feel God today or yesterday whenever she was talking to me. My daughter didn't really feel God, and I just wanted to let you know that so you can think about ways to improve your, uh, your, uh, your, your service. <laughs> and... I'm definitely not saying that the service was perfect in any way. Uh, I'm not sure that there is a perfect service. Uh, The thing that I focused on as a youth pastor was just teaching the word of God. We had worship, you know, we had games, we had all the typical stuff that a youth ministry would have, except that I focused on the word and not focused on the games, although we still had the games. Anyway, I had a conversation with her and I asked her, well, what did your daughter get out of the out of the service yesterday and she couldn't tell me her daughter didn't tell her that uh, and i said okay well you, what did she get out of the the other service that she was at last week can you tell me what she learned she couldn't tell me her daughter evidently wasn't learning anything but she was just swept up in the emotions of at this other service evidently they would tell stories about all of the terrible things that would happen to them in their lives and she would relate to that because she had a difficult life herself. And to her, that was feeling God because she was around these other people who called themselves Christians for the most part. 
and they were saying how good they felt because they felt like God loved them in the midst of all of these challenging things in their lives. But what about the people who didn't feel like God loved them during the midst of those challenging things? An enormous amount of Christians leave their faith because of not feeling God in challenges and because they don't have good reasons to believe and I told this mother the exact same thing. Look, if your daughter, uh, in a in a in a nice way, you know, I didn't come across the way I'm speaking now. <laughs> I was trying to be as winsome and attractive as possible when I was speaking to her. But the point that I was trying to get across was, if your daughter relies on her feelings and her faith, and she skips from church to church and and just relies on feeling God as the basis of her faith rather than hearing the word and understanding the word, then she won't have a faith before too long. And that is a serious problem. It was a serious problem for her and her daughter. And it's a serious problem for you, Christian. If you're listening and you don't fully have good reasons to believe that Jesus lived, died, and came back to life, and that you know that God exists, and that you know why the Bible is true, And that your faith isn't resting on your feelings and how close you feel with God, but your obedience to him and his word, then there's a problem if that's not happening. So what you need to do is change the way that you think about your faith. If you think about it this way, you should let the Bible and what the Bible has to say overcome your culture and your tendency towards individualism and your tendency towards believing that you and your needs and your desires are the most important things to be met. And you need to turn that to God. God is the most important being in your life and in the entire universe. And it's God who we should be serving. God shouldn't be serving us. And the more we consider that, And the more that we make our lives about God instead of our lives about what God can do for us, then perhaps at that point, the more close we actually will feel with God in a sincere way and in a a strong and substantive way, in a way that we've never felt before when our faith is just based on if I hear a good worship song this week. So do me a favor and think about that and then pass that idea on to others and encourage others to base their faith not on how they feel, but on what they know and about their obedience to God. Because if our faith is about us, like I said, it might not be faith at all. So thanks for listening to the Good Monsters podcast. Stay tuned for the next episode.